It's a rivalry Wednesday. And what a rivalry it is. It's the number one rivalry in hockey and the number one rivalry in Pittsburgh sports history. It's the Penguins and Flyers. Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. A true Penguin fan can name all the big events. Like ending the 42-game winless streak at the Spectrum on February 2nd, 1989. I got a video clip of that on the Mark Madden page at WXDX.com. Then there's going 8-0 in 06-07. Eight straight wins against the old enemy. Eliminating the Flyers in 2008. Eliminating the Flyers again in 2009. And of course, five Stanley Cups to Philadelphia's two. The Flyers have had their moments too. The most recent was winning a playoff series against Pittsburgh in 2012. But at one time, the Flyers were the Penguins' overlords. But now the jackboot is on the other foot. The dominance has switched. And that fact has brought me more joy than just about anything else in my life as a Pittsburgh sports fan. Have you ever seen the Flyers win the Cup? And I answer... Not since 1975. Going on 50 long years ago. This is Mark Madden. I'm a super genius with a tested IQ of 166. And you can't teach that. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. The Flyers are right in the mix at the top of the Metropolitan Division. Bunched at the very top with the Penguins and Washington Capitals, just two points separating all three teams. To be very honest, I don't know how that happened. I don't know what has got the Flyers, the record they have, and where they are in the standings. So at 3.30 p.m., we're going to be talking with Anthony Sanfilippo. He covers the Flyers for the Crossing Broad website. Yo, the Flyers' goaltending sucks. All three of their guys stink. Morozik has been playing lately, the last six games. They've lost three in a row. He's played all of those. The other two goalies have been hurt recently. That's Elliot Neuvert. Like I mentioned, Philadelphia's lost three straight, but they won six in a row before that and 10 of 11. Philly is the master of the loser point. 11 loser points on the year. Wayne Simmons returns from injury tonight at right wing. He is very difficult to handle. Basically, their top line kills at Giroux, now at left wing instead of center, out there with Couturier and Konetsky. And their power play kills it. Although it is down to number 15 right now in the league. The Penguins have the number one power play. But I've always liked how the Flyers run the power play. Shoot and crash, shoot and crash, repeat as necessary. Uh, The Flyers stink on defense, but their two young kids are doing okay. Gostas, Baron, Provorov. And guys like McDonald and Manning don't suck quite as bad as usual. Actually, at least Gostas, Baron, Provorov have some mobility and skill. And the Flyers aren't as goony as they used to be. But like I mentioned a moment ago, the Flyers record is deceptive. 34, 21, and 11. 
which in reality is 34 wins and 32 losses. The Penguins are 2-0 against the Flyers this season, 5-4 in overtime at Pittsburgh on November 17th. Sid scores in overtime, of course, and then a 5-1 win at Philadelphia on January 18th. If you consider the Penguins and Flyers to be a war, then Sidney Crosby has been our greatest general. Uh, Sid hates the Flyers, and it shows in his attitude and his production. Sid has 88 points in 61 career games against Philadelphia. That includes 37 goals and five game-winning goals. I'm sure the Flyers will take shots at Sid tonight, and the crowd at Wells Fargo will act stupid like it always does. There could very easily be a playoff series between the two teams, and we all remember 2012 and that fiasco when the Flyers made the Penguins implode mentally and emotionally, but I don't think that happens again. These Penguins are older, wiser, much more mature, as two Stanley Cups in the last two years have proven, and uh, I think this is a better Penguins team than 2012 and a worse Flyers team. Anyway, it's the Penguins and Flyers tonight. You can hear all the action on the X. It's a rivalry Wednesday. And the result could have repercussions at season's end. If you want to talk Penguins, dial 412-333-WXDX. The Lev Bell drama is not going away. I'll have uh, not an update on it, but just uh, a few tidbits, some opinions. Aditi Kinkwala talked to one of Bell's teammates. We'll hear what he had to say about the potential for Bell to sit out a season or a few games. Uh, I'm not dismissing him sitting out a few games, but you got to report by week 10 to burn off a year of accountability to the Steelers. So he'll definitely be in by week 10, no question. Uh, Pitt men's basketball lost in the first round of the ACC tournament yesterday. By three points to Notre Dame. I guess Stallings, the coach, he's going to get fired. But who are you going to get to coach? And how long is it going to take to rebuild? The Pete has been empty, well, pretty close, and it looks like a long way back. Pitt can't get an aim coach who can provide a quick fix because Pitt won't shell out the big money necessary. But boy, Pitt fell hard and a long way, and it happened fast. Pitt was 9-9 and in the ACC just two seasons ago. That's not great, but it's better than 0-18. And Pitt made the NCAA tournament that year. This year, 0-18 in the league and 0-1 in the conference tournament. Yikes. Now, there are reports that Kevin Stong as the coach is out and a buyout is being negotiated, but Stallings wants 9.5 mil to take a hike. And he's being offered 7.4. If I'm Stallings, I hold out for the 9.5 or just say, well, see it practice. If they really want to get rid of him that bad, they'll shell out the extra 2.1. Stallings should hire Lev Bell to represent him. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. Uh, you know what's hilarious? That the Pitt, Pittsburgh media still treats Pitt basketball with kid gloves. Like the headline today in the Post-Gazette, Scrappy Pitt falls again. Yeah, again, and again, and again, 
And again, Pitt isn't scrappy. Pitt sucks. The headline should have been, Sucky Pitt keeps sucking. In the meantime, like I said, Penguins and Flyers tonight. Pens, Flyers, and Caps battling for first place in the Metro. The Caps with 81 points. The Penguins have 80. And Philadelphia has 79. The Flyers have a game in hand. And the Caps have two. There must be some rule that the Penguins can never have a game in hand. Because other teams have had games in hand on Pittsburgh all year long. I don't think first place matters for the Penguins. Or home ice. Not that much. Some teams need that. The Pens don't. Then again, if the Capitals and Flyers need that, depriving them wouldn't be a bad thing, would it? So Pens at Philadelphia, and Michael Schenker, the UFO guitarist from the glory days, he'll be playing tonight at the Carnegie Library Music Hall in Homestead. I'll be watching the Penguin game on DVR and seeing Schenker live because he's amazing, one of the best guitar players ever. Uh, we will be using his instrumentals at 3.45 and 4 p.m. So for one day, even the great Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin is taking a backseat to Michael Schenker of UFO and the Michael Schenker group. Uh, Michael has every singer who's ever worked with him after UFO on this tour. I don't think anybody would notice if he didn't. I think people just want to hear him play and hear the songs. I was at the Ugly Dog Saloon here in Green Tree to get lunch. And they have one of those computer jukeboxes where you get like any song from any artist. And nobody's playing the jukebox. And so I, I put in five bucks to get Drake off. Like like it had like a default to go to like Drake and and like club music if nobody was paying the freight to, to play songs. So I put in five bucks and played ten UFO and Michael Shanker songs. The older clientele was not best pleased, but I was like, okay, you know what? I'm 57. I'm one of the older clientele. If it's too loud, you're too old. Don't forget, this Saturday, I'll be at my home base in McKeesport for Penguins viewing party, Cal's Cantina. Then next Wednesday, at Tequila Cowboy on the North Shore, it's the Great Pittsburgh Sports Debate. If you'd like to get a VIP package... Go to 1059thex.com. I wonder if the chalk outline where Todd Haley fell is still on the sidewalk outside Tequila Cowboy. 1059thex. Time. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Mark, I uh, love the show, man. Hey, Mark, how you doing, Call All hail double M. Dun -dun 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 -dun. The X at 105.9. We got Anthony Sanfilippo at the bottom of the hour. He covers the fires for crossingbroad.com. Why are the Flyers this good? Maybe they're not. Maybe they've just been lucky. Maybe those loser points are the basis for where they're at in the standings. They're just two games over real 500. 34 wins and 32 losses. We'll see what San Filippo thinks at 3.30. The hits just keep coming with Le'Veon Bell. Here's a tweet from Aditi Kinkabwala from the NFL Network. Just got off the phone with one of Le'Veon Bell's teammates. He says of that retirement talk, quote, no way does he walk away from $14.5 million, unquote. But he says if the running back does have to play on the tag, he can see Bell skipping a game or two 
unquote. And then Lev Bell chimed in because he just can't help himself. LOL, what more I got to do to be wanted, unquote. Yo, jackass, they offered you 13.3 mil per year on a multi-year deal. That should be Webster's Dictionary's definition of being wanted. Uh, Some people have said on Twitter that if Lev Bell was a free agent on the open market, he would get his $15 million per year like he wants, $15 million per year, and maybe more. I don't think so. I don't think any team would even offer Bell what the Steelers are, namely the aforementioned $13.3 million per year. But that's a moot point because Lev Bell isn't on the open market. The market doesn't determine his worth. Lev Bell doesn't get to determine his own worth. Bell's worth is determined by the Steelers and or the franchise tag. Bell has some input on the former, but absolutely none on the latter. Uh, Here's something I've talked about the last couple days, mostly on Twitter, and people hate me for saying it, but it's true. It's damn true. Todd Gurley from the L.A. Rams had a better year last year than Le'Veon Bell. Gurley had 1,305 yards rushing and a 4.7-yard average. Bell had 1,291 yards rushing and a 4-yard average. So Gurley had a few more yards but a much better average. Gurley had 788 yards receiving and a 12.3-yard average. Bell had 655 yards receiving and a 7.7-yard average. Gurley had more yards and a much better average. Bell did have more catches. How the heck did Bell have a better season than Todd Gurley? He he didn't. You can even make the argument Kareem Hunt of Kansas City had a better season. He had better averages per carry and per catch. Gurley, by the way, made $3.4 million last year. Kareem Hunt made $821,000. Meantime, Juju Smith-Schuster is staging an idiotic Twitter campaign to get LeBron James to play for the Steelers, which will not happen. Here's one of Juju's tweets, quote, announcing my official campaign to recruit King James to the Pittsburgh Steelers for the 2018 season. LeBron has done everything in the NBA. He can be the best athlete ever if he makes the move to the NFL and wins a Super Bowl with Steeler Nation. Hashtag LeBron to Pittsburgh. Wow. I don't think Juju got held enough as a kid. This nonstop cry for attention is annoying AF. And it's not funny. It's one thing if something like this is funny, but it's just not funny. Up next... Why are the Flyers so good? And how can we make it stop? We'll talk to Anthony Sanfilippo. He covers the Flyers for CrossingBroad.com. I'm Mark Madden, 105.9. This is Sidney Crosby of the Pittsburgh Penguins. You're listening to Mark Madden and the best hockey talk on 105.9 The X. Tonight at the Wells Fargo in Philadelphia, it's the Penguins against the old enemy, the Philadelphia Flyers. Joining me now to talk about the Flyers' dramatic turnaround this year... From CrossingBroad.com, it's Anthony Sanfilippo. Uh, Anthony, the Flyers are playing really well, and I want it to stop. In a nutshell, what's behind this Flyers turnaround? Um, it, it, it's, a, it's really a belief in the, in the room, Mark, to be honest with you, because 
when you really look at the way this team plays, they're just okay. I mean, there's some young talent that's coming. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you look at a kid like Travis Konechny, who's been unbelievable since they moved him up onto the first line, uh, reminds a lot of people in Philadelphia of Danny Briere, the way he plays. Um, and he's been a big part of the turnaround ever since they put him with Giroux and Couturier. Um, he, you know, the team has played much better uh, offensively. Um, and, of course, you know, the young guys on defense, like Provorov and Gostasbear, have been really, really good this year. They've taken that next step. So, so you can identify individual players who have made a difference, but they were here all season. And up until the beginning of December, the Flyers were terrible. They were in last place in the Metropolitan Division. They had lost 10 games in a row. Um, they really, there were fans chanting to fire the coach in the, in, the, in the stands at the Wells Fargo Center. And then all of a sudden, since then, they've had the third best record in hockey behind only Vegas and Boston. And on most nights, they're just okay, but they find a way to win. And so it really has to come from within that room because, you know, you look at them playing a game against Montreal, who's not a very good team this year, and Montreal's pushing them to the brink, pushing them to the brink, and yet they find a way to win. Then they go up to Montreal, play them a second time within a week, get shut out, but win it in a, in a shootout one to nothing. They find a way to win. So it's, it's really kind of leaving a lot of people scratching their heads but I will say this, Mark, there is a caveat. There are 16, 17 games to go, and while I don't think the Flyers will free-fall out of the playoffs, I think that they're facing their Waterloo at this point. And then when you look at their schedule, and maybe we'll be able to tell, are they a real contender, or are they just going to be a team that gets in and, and uh, makes a quick exit? Well, Claude Giroux's having a heck of a year, and that's no surprise. He's a uh, a producer throughout his career, number six in the league right now in points, but he moved to left wing this year. What are the pros yeah. and cons there, Anthony? And did Giroux want to do it? Yeah, I, well, I don't think that there's really any con. I mean, I, mean I, guess, I guess the con at the time was, well, geez, you're going to make Sean Couturier your top-line center. The guy you know, doesn't score, and then all of a sudden now he's got 29 goals, which is the equivalent of his two previous best seasons combined. Um, so... So that really kind of the con went away real quick. The pro was uh, you, you put Giroux on the wing. He was actually a winger when he first came into the NHL. Played wing all through junior, and even you know in the 2010 season when the Flyers went to the Cup Finals, Claude Giroux was their third line right wing, um, left wing. I'm sorry, on that team. Um, so he played the position. It's not like it was a foreign position for him. But the other pro is, is it's really cut down on how much skating. He's had to do, and he's really able to just concentrate on being a, an elite player. And he's gotten back to the point now where he's got an outside shot at uh, 100 points. He's probably going to finish with his best season ever, uh, point production-wise. And really, nobody's talking about it. The fact that you brought it up so quickly shows that you're, you know, you're in tune with what's going on. But a lot of people in this league are not really looking at Claude Giroux as a potential Hart Trophy candidate. But it's kind of hard to argue if a guy puts up over 90 points and helps his team turn around from last place in the division and a 10-game losing streak to potentially winning the division, which is still a possibility, and, and is one of the top five scorers in the league, how can you not consider him? So, I, you know, it, Giroux has been a huge part of uh, the Flyers' success. Well, let's get back to Couturier for a second at center. He was always a checker, Malkin shadow. Yeah. Now he's got 29 goals. Is that as simple as just getting first-line minutes and line mates, or is there something else? 
Yeah, it's, it's well, here's the thing. They always sell. The Flyers have always sell. I talked to um, you know, Paul Honger when he was the general manager and Ron Hextall when, when he, once he took over. And if you even go back to uh, Peter Laviolette coaching him, um, they all felt that there was a next level for Sean Couturier as an offensive player. Um, obviously, he was a very good and really elite defensive forward, um, but he was never really taking that next step. And so it was a question of how do we help him get to that next level to be that top two-way center in the NHL, akin to a Patrice Bergeron um, or um, Andy Kopitar. And the idea was, well, let's put him with players who, who produce uh, offensively and see if it helps. Well, it did. It was a, it was a boon right off, the, right off the cuff. He was playing with Drew and Jake Voracek, uh, Voracek's the leading assist guy in the NHL. And even after Voracek was moved off the top line to try and give the Flyers a little bit more depth beyond their top line, Couturier has still been putting up points, granted not at the level he was in the first half of the season, but he's still putting them up at a, at a pretty decent clip and, and has really become that top two-way center um, that, the, that the Flyers were hoping uh, four, five, six years ago that he would eventually become. The timing is perfect for the return to Wayne Simmons, not only to play tonight against Pittsburgh, but just in general with the Flyers trying to sustain what they've been doing. I think he's the hardest forward in the league to play against, Anthony, and I don't say that lightly. Yeah, I, it, it, it's, it, they've missed him. There's no question they've missed him. Um, you, know, you look at that second line, it was going so well uh, with him and uh, Voracek and then uh, the, the rookie kid, Nolan Patrick, who was second overall pick last year, finally starting to come into his own a little bit. And, and it was really making a strong second line for the Flyers. And then once Simmons went down, uh, you know, the Flyers did. They went 4-2-1 and one, um, in the seven games that Simmons missed. So it wasn't awful. But, again, the results are better than the play. They really, in these last seven games, have not played well other than maybe one game up in Ottawa two, uh, ten days ago. Um, that was the only game I thought that they really played well. The other six, even though they had three wins and a shootout loss in there, I, I think that they've played kind of haphazardly and not looked good. They've looked overmatched at times. And even by teams that are below them in the standings, like Carolina, uh, really looked like they overmatched the Flyers. So I think you're right, getting Simmons back at this point. If you look at the Flyers' schedule, you got Pittsburgh tonight, at Boston tomorrow, and then back-to-back on the weekend coming to Philly, Winnipeg, and Vegas. I mean, that is a brutal stretch of four games, and the Flyers have lost their last three. There's a real concern that this could be a a stretch where the team starts to go in the tank again, like they did back in November, and bringing a guy like Wayne Simmons back into the lineup, back onto your top power play, will try to stem that and hopefully turn things around for the team. We're talking to Anthony Sanfilippo. He covers the Philadelphia Flyers for CrossingBroad.com. It's the Pens and Flyers tonight. Hear all the action right here on the X. Uh, how would you rate uh, Morazic's play in goal since he came over from Detroit? And when all the goalies are healthy, who's going to be the number one, Anthony? That, 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 I'll, I'll give you my rating on Morazic first, but your second part of that question, Mark, is a great question. Um, the, the, Morazic's been what I kind of expected him to be. He's been good at times and not good at times. So far, he's made uh, six starts um, in three of the games. I thought he played really well. In three of the games, I thought he looked really shaky. Um, he's a guy, it's kind of interesting. Like He's very fast. 
post, post to post. He's really quick along the ice, takes away the bottom of the, of the net really well, um, and, and he's very athletic. However, he sits back in the net a lot, which is, I think that's his weakness. And you see teams shooting at him from, like, strange angles. Um, and sometimes you get a bad angle goal. Sometimes it sets up a rebound into, like, a high-danger scoring area. And, and you sit there and say, well, Jesus, maybe if he was just out from the net a little bit, he would have cut that angle off a little bit better, and it wouldn't have been such a, such a bad play. But, I mean, it's who, far be it for me to tell a guy how to play goal. That said, I think that you're seeing teams take advantage of it. It was really, really an example in Tampa Bay uh, on Saturday when they lost 7-6. to six. Tampa just kept shooting from, from the goal line, like along the goal line, along the boards you know, near the side and the back of the net. And every rebound came right out in front of people, and it was a real tough game for Morazic. And then Florida kind of, you know, had some opportunities like that as well uh, on the next day on Sunday. So I think ultimately if Brian Elliott is healthy, and we'll find out in the next couple weeks here, but if Brian Elliott's healthy, I think ultimately the Flyers will go with Elliott unless Morazic suddenly gets really hot and then you ride the hot goalie. But if he plays like he's been playing, kind of inconsistent, good game, bad game, good game, bad game, I think if Elliott's healthy, Elliott would be the guy in the playoffs. You mentioned the 10-game losing streak early in the season, and obviously the Flyers have rebounded mightily. What kind of a tribute is that to the coach, Dave Haxtell, who, like you said, the fans were clamoring to be fired uh, during that 10-game streak? Yeah, it's a, again, I, I'm not the biggest Dave Haxtell guy. Um, you got to give him credit when the team comes back from something like that and wins. I mean, it, it, you know, but I also think the coach gets too much credit when things are good and not enough and too much blame when things are bad. That said, I question a lot of his decisions. Uh, he's he's adamant about rolling four lines as a as a strategy, and I get it. It's not a bad strategy, but the Flyers' fourth line is terrible, um, and their third line is just okay. So what you're finding is a lot of times in close games, especially in the third period, instead of getting you know the Giroux line and Couturier double shifted, what you'll see is he'll be trotting out there in a tie game. Uh, Val Filpola, Yuri Laterra, and Dale Weiss. Well, I mean, geez, you know, what do you expect? You know, Tampa scored the, the go-ahead goal in the third period against that fourth line, and why are they even out there at that point? So um, there are some things that I wonder. You know, he's really hard on young players. They make a mistake, and they sit in the press box for four games. Uh, he, he buys into this whole veteran um, veteran player thing is more important. That's why guys like Brandon Manning and, and Radko Gudis are playing regularly on defense despite the countless mistakes they make, rather than going with a young kid like Travis Sanheim, who's currently sitting in the minors because Haxall had him as a healthy scratch for seven, eight games in a row. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's really kind of a, an interesting thing. You want to sit there and say the coach is doing a good job because they've gotten themselves back into the race, but there's things that happen in the game that leave you scratching your head saying, well, what the heck is this guy doing? So I don't, I don't necessarily know where to – I'm still kind of up in the air with Hackstall, where to, where to give him credit and where not to give him credit. Now that the Flyers are battling for first in the Metro, what are the expectations from the fans and what are the expectations in the locker room? Well, the funny, that's funny. The locker room, they all, I couldn't believe it when they started talking about winning the division. Um, because, again, they were, in a, they were on a 12-game point streak, but they were of those 12 games, 11 games came against teams that were below them 
team standings in the Eastern Conference. So we're talking about the bottom of the barrel, Buffalo, Ottawa, Montreal. Uh, so there were a lot of points coming against bad teams. The only good win they had in there was they actually went into Vegas and beat the Knights in Vegas, which not a lot of teams do. Um, so this, to hear them suddenly have this bravado, uh, when they really haven't beaten good teams. I mean, you're going to see them play the Penguins tonight. Penguins have beat them twice. They played Boston tomorrow. Boston's beat them twice this year. Um, they lost to – so there's – you know, they struggle against Tampa. They, they don't do well against uh, some other good teams. I want to see them win games against better teams before I sit there and have an expectation that they can win the division. As for the fans, they're cautious. And rightfully so. Uh, you know, when things are going well, they, they get caught up in it, and they say, yeah, this is fantastic. But as soon as something happens, they go, well, there's the Flyers being the Flyers again. Um, they really want this team to do well. They really want this team to get back to being one of those top teams in the NHL that you can expect to be there every year. But I think that they're still kind of cautious that they're not quite there yet, maybe another year or two. Uh, so the fans are kind of, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll cheer for you. But we're not gonna we're not gonna go all in just yet with this team. What's your take on the Penguins Flyers matchup this year? Uh, never mind tonight; it could very easily happen in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, I I, I think it would be a horrible matchup for the Flyers, to be honest with you. I mean, yeah, the, the one thing about the Penguins is, is that the Penguins do bring out the usually bring out the best in the Flyers. Um, usually, it's they, the Flyers you know, are able to focus because it's Pittsburgh. That said, I don't I think there is a immense talent gap between where the Penguins are and where the Flyers are still, um, even though it might not show in the standings. And I think part of that is, you know, Pittsburgh had such a bad first half of the year, and now they've got a little bit of goaltending, uh, a little bit of a goaltending issue. But ultimately, if it's in a seven-game series, I, I don't think it's close. I think the Penguins would win it easily. Um, so, you know, the, that's the, I think that's why the Flyers are so bent on trying to win the division. Because I don't think they want to play Pittsburgh in the first round because I think they know it would not be a good matchup for them. I think Washington would be a better matchup if Pittsburgh, if the Flyers don't win the division and Pittsburgh does and the Flyers end up playing Washington. I think that's a better first round matchup for the Flyers, but Pittsburgh would not be a good one and it would be a quick exit for Philadelphia. Anthony, from your lips to God's ears, thank you for <laughs> taking the time as always. We'll see you soon, I hope. Thanks again. Yeah, you got it, Mark. Anytime, my friend. That's Anthony Sanfilippo. He's the number one Flyers guy. Check out his work at CrossingBroad.com. I'm Mark Madden. You're listening to the home of the Penguins. It's a rivalry Wednesday on 105.9. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. It'd be the hoity-toity instead of the hoi-polloi. Double M, what's up? Idiots are often happy, but they have no real impact in this world. Unless, of course, they're good enough to make the NFL. The X at 105.9. Blasting off with the Michael Schenker group, Captain Nemo, subbing in for no quarter today. Pens and Flyers tonight, you got to give Tristan Jari credit. He's going to be in goal again, and he's got 12 wins this season. That's the most by any rookie goalie in the league. If Jari had started the season as the Penguins' backup, instead of that bum, Antti Niemi, the Penguins would be comfortably in first place right now. The power play could be a key tonight. 
The Penguins have the best power play in the league. The Flyers have the third worst penalty kill. But the Penguins don't get on the power play much lately. They were averaging four and a half power plays per game early in the campaign. They've averaged just two power plays per game uh, since the beginning of February. The other team's not committing less penalties. The officials are just calling less penalties. I'm almost out of hateful things to say about the Flyers. Or maybe it's just too early. Maybe this game doesn't matter. Maybe, well no, for sure actually, if the Pens and Flyers play in the playoffs, I'm sure my hate will regenerate many times over. Captain Nemo, brought to you by CW Electrical Services. Make the switch at CWElectricalServices.com. Pat Narduzzi, the pit football coach, said very succinctly, West Virginia wants to play us and Penn State doesn't. That's a shame, but, and I know you Pitt fans are going to hate hearing this, Penn State football doesn't need Pitt, but Pitt football does need Penn State. In fact, I think the only way Pitt football is ever going to get viable momentum as something people care about again is if Pitt football plays both Penn State and West Virginia on a regular basis every year. Two signature games plus the big opponents in the ACC. That's what Pitt football really needs. Uh, Kevin Love of the Cleveland Cavaliers wrote a story for the Players' Tribune about suffering panic attacks and that's what caused him to leave two games early this season and maybe why he missed another game completely. Remember when the Cavs locker room accused Love of faking illness? Well, that's what happened. That's a real sensitive locker room. They accused him of faking illness when he was having panic attacks. And of course Kevin Love is having panic attacks. LeBron James bullies him and the whole team non-stop. You can ignore that and you will, but if you talk about Kevin Love having shaky mental health, LeBron James is the root cause. Uh, this is tremendous. John Lester of the Chicago Cubs is a very good pitcher, but he can't throw the ball to first base. He can paint the black from the pitcher's mound, throwing home plate, but he can't make a good throw to first base. He gets the yips. He's awful on pickoff throws. And as a result, base runners get some pretty big leads. So Lester is going to try throwing the ball to first base on one bounce. On pickoffs and on one to three putouts. Like a bounce pass in basketball. If it works, it works. But I don't see why it would be any easier. And I'd love to see him try... Bouncing a pickoff throw to first or a one to three putout throw to first in a tied game seven of a playoff series. I would truly love to see that. That's Captain Emo by Michael Schenker, MSG at what's it called again? The Carnegie Library Music Hall in Homestead tonight. More Schenker just around the corner. 1059X.